0: How do you make comics without all the frustration, without feeling lousy and inadequate all the time? Join me, Jess Rulepson,
1: and me, Tom Hart,
0: on The Terrible Anvil. Each week, we build community and shift our mindset about what it means to make comics and art. We're working through the whole process one piece at a time, turning our suffering and angst into fun and glee. Join us at sawcomics.org.
1: All uh, we're live. This is the Sequential Artists Workshop and this is the Terrible Anvil. Um, I'm Tom Hart.
0: I'm Jess Rolipson.
1: And something we didn't mention last time is that we're both Eisner nominees and that you should know that if you're listening to this podcast that this is coming to you from Eisner-nominated cartoonists Jess Rolipson and Tom Hart, right?
0: Yes, I'm putting double Eisner nominees in the chat. It just means one of us a piece, but two of us <laughs> together. The...
1: And <laughs> and uh, this is episode two, and we are uh, titling it, or uh, at least to begin with, Lean into the Bad or Lean into the Worst. And and Jess, what, is that, what does that mean?
0: That's a good question. It remains to be seen, but I, I think the idea is we're riffing on what was hardest about comics last week. So... Um, And thinking about identifying first what's the most tricky for you personally. And there's a lot of people agreeing with certain things like drawing or thumbnailing or lettering or something technical or something more spiritual. Um, And then once you've identified, wow, that's really hard. How do you um, make a home there in the ruins?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Make a a home there. Uh, You know, I noticed something in... In uh, scouring the Jess Reliefs and archives, I mentioned I, I noticed that rendering of hands is mentioned often, and I'm starting to wonder if this is a, if this is something particular to you, Jess, do you struggle with drawing hands?
0: I just use it as a good example. Uh-huh. Um, I could certainly be better at it
1: <laughs> well, I wasn't I wasn't trying to needle you, but I just wondered if that was something that that you have yourself leaned into. And I also saw that in the chat in the pre warm up chat, somebody was talking about backgrounds too, and we can go into that, I guess. Ooh,
0: backgrounds. Yeah. Backgrounds are like the elevated cartoonist specific version of what's, what's hard. I think anyone making art and trying to draw the figure, I saw it a lot in the um, pre-college cartooning class that, uh, and myself as a cartoonist or an artist in high school and middle school, I'd always put the hands of my characters away behind the figure or into some pockets, so I think um, I think that's a, such a clear example that lives in my memory is like, oh, no one likes to draw hands, and we get around it by finding a secret place for the fingers to go that's not out and about, I guess, because it's easier to draw. Like, like a I see like a, an avoidance of that, so it's kind of fun to acknowledge that. Um, but backgrounds are similar too. Like uh, some people really enjoy backgrounds, but the rest of us mortals have to figure out how to draw them. Do you like drawing backgrounds, Tom?
1: I want to address a couple of those things you said. Um but to, the, to answer that question, um it's gotten to the point where I only like drawing rocks and trees. So I don't know if those are backgrounds or not if that's all you're drawing. That's one mm-hmm. reason I sort of stopped drawing is cuz I was like, do I have to put a character here? <laughs> um but you know, uh, on on the subject of of hands, um there's an old com- uh, Charlie Brown strip where where Linus notices that Charlie Brown has drawn a character without with that with his hands behind his back and Linus says I notice that you've drawn him without with his hands behind his back and it's showing that he's a uh, that he's a little bit um you know a little bit shy and reserved and this and that and he's analyzing him philosophically and psychologically and Charlie Brown of course says no I just couldn't draw hands um, <laughs> it's a classic it's a classic comment um, but also like if Again, I want to I want to sort of talk about this subject. Like, if you were to lean into the worst, like, how many pages of comics could you draw where like you showed no hands purposefully, purposefully, right? You know, where you you maybe cut them off at the <laughs> at the side of the panel, or you or you had people just doing all sorts of stuff with uh, you know, I don't know, enormous gloves on or um or uh, always behind their back, right? You know, it's kind of like. It just seems like a great a great idea to uh to try that right to try how do you lean into the band i can't draw hands so at least at least once try and draw that without without doing it what about you
0: uh what was the question
1: (laughs) you're doing you're doing don't do don't double uh don't double dip i think you're you're busy in the chat i can Well,
0: i'm trying to uh uh immortalize what you're saying in the chat so i can use it for the recap and uh Help our peers. Also, I just thought of a great band name: Tom Hart and the Bad Hands.
1: And the Bad Hands. So, um, <laughs> but let's we can. Um, but again, t- backgrounds is another thing, and, and like, and you know, there, there's again, building on what we were saying last week. There's no right way to make comics, right? And if you really, really, really aren't aren't going to draw backgrounds because you've just decided that that's that's just not your thing, you could easily make good comics without them. Um, Garfield has very few backgrounds, but, but also, you know, you can make a comic if that's just monologues or, or dialogues, you know, there's plenty, there's plenty of ways around it. It's just that you might have to change, you know, your epic fantasy comic might not work if you're not drawing backgrounds, but other comics might. So.
0: That's true. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of where I started with backgrounds. I tended to draw every leaf on every tree, which was a thrill, but also um, after after one of the first times I printed my own zines and went to a comics festival, I saw how quickly people read comics, i.e. pick it up and throw it back down on the table and wander off. I was like, scandalized. I was like, I spent all this time drawing these leaves and no one's appreciating my amazing uh, <laughs> backgrounds. So when I realized no one was looking, I was like, oh, maybe I don't have to work that hard and I wanted to work faster. So I I started kind of for lack of a better word, drawing more cartoony. And uh and then I kind of forgot about backgrounds and was okay with not really having very much in there. And uh I'm not very good at perspective. And Tom has called me out on that before. <laughs> He's like, This doesn't look right at all. And I'm like, I I know. <laughs> but uh but I but now I'm realizing I there's kind of, you know, I, I kind of think of bootleggery sort of things you could do like well if, if something's really close to us it'll be big and if it's really far away it'll be small and I play more with scale and design and I can get away with um, insinuating a background or a space just on the design alone um, and I've, I've really come to understand the value of props in uh, trying to make comics like the last piece we did for the Boston Globe thinking about making a print comic and also making a version of the same comic that would work as a vertical scroll, some of those elements sort of float in space. So I think someone mentioned things float in space. That can actually be a good thing because then you can move stuff around in the digital version. Um, I don't fully understand it myself, but but having flexibility with the items can be good if you're translating from web to print. uh, And then you don't necessarily have to be married to a background. But backgrounds are um, set design for comics, so like where, if, if it's important, is the, the location important? How can we tell we're at that location? For example, if we're at a hospital drawing, what looks, the hospital backgrounds themselves, like the walls of the hospital, not very beautiful, not very exciting, not a lot of dramatic angles. So uh, a gurney or an IV pole, or um, a lot of it you have to base on like people's outfits, like everyone's dressed like they're at a hospital. Um, so getting the characters into character and then set dressing was once I started thinking about it like that, it became more fun. It was uh, in service to the narrative versus something I had to do because I wanted to be a real cartoonist and real cartoonists draw backgrounds, I guess.
1: <laughs> That's there's so much there. There's so much to respond to. I love that you said scale and design, that you're insinuating a background from scale with scale and design, right? So... I guess you're drawing these props you're designing them into the panel and you're just giving us enough indication that we're that we're somewhere right that the story is happening somewhere and i if i if i heard you correctly you're also altering some of those design elements slightly differently for web or for print which is somewhere i never would have expected us to be 10 15 years ago you know so suddenly it's not about quote drawing backgrounds it's like it's for our particular Uh, medium or for our particular audience how do we present how do we present the the design elements so that they know where the story is happening that's really wild Mm -hmm.
0: and I, I don't know I've only I've only watched a little bit of improv comedy but the really really good stuff is so funny when people make a big deal out of a prop or a situation or something and all the actors are rallying around this small detail and uh, I I think that's something that's happening happening with me subconsciously when I'm trying to build a story in comics is like what's this weird prop like in the last comic we did there's a a scanner like you would maybe see at a, a grocery store but you scan all the different barcodes in the in the patient's room and uh, medicines and the bracelet that the patient wears. Um, and it's really annoying. It makes this beeping sound, and I was, and I there, I, and and uh, the whole comic was about all the loudness of, of of being in the hospital and all the beeps and things. And um, it's 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 kind of a humorless experience to be very sick and in, in the hospital or taking care of sick people. But something about that, I thought was really funny. I guess because I'm usually annoyed, and I lived in New York too long, and there's always a noise that I was like, "What is that noise?" So um so this object, this like weird scanner, it's like doesn't have any hard edges, it's phallic, it's hard to draw, like and it flashes and it beeps. It, it seemed kind of comical to have this like weird object that was um had a lot of power over the characters in the comic.
1: And it helped remind us readers that we're in this loud, weird medical environment, right? Constantly scanning you and and Yeah, wow, that's what—that's really interesting.
0: Well, and maybe like some of the props you can use in a comic have have their own storytelling abilities. Like they're they're sort of like miniature best supporting actors and actresses. Like the scanner became an illustration for like how technology is a barrier between the human caring for another human. It's just this beepy loud thing that you have to mess Mm -hmm. with. It also helps that like I've seen um, the protagonist of the comic. My partner, I've seen him in instances where he's like shouting at his phone, like this doesn't make any sense. Or like we all struggle with technology. I feel like everyone once a day has a monologue about some stupid software update they hate. Tom can't ever find how to raise his hand on Zoom. I I don't even know how I got here. <laughs> We're lucky we found the link. It's a miracle that this podcast is being recorded, but um so there even though that's hyper specific, it's very relatable. Uh so so I think you can lean it Maybe leaning into the bad is like, mm-hmm. I didn't go into that comic thinking, man, I can't wait to draw this scanner. <laughs> it's like, I hate drawing hands. I don't know if I'm good at them. But then having a hand holding this strange thing, I was like, that's going to look weird. You know, going into it, you think maybe this will look weird. Is this going to make sense? But I could understand the uh, the point of it and the humor in it. So even if the drawing was eluding me, I knew, I knew what it was supposed to be doing.
1: But it, it makes it so much more particular, doesn't it? Like and, and more almost personal, right? You know, it could have been a dry comic about a hospital with all the things that go on in the hospital, but it's got this weird jessism of this like weird device that just is always beeping. And I know actually the sound in that story was sort of part of the point as well. So but I don't know, it's great that you that you went into that you lent leaned into that.
0: It, rather, lent it
1: Yeah. Rather than um Again, trying to make it a dry, uh, a dry hospital comic.
0: And you, you can kind of think about, uh, like sometimes what we're drawn to in drawing—no uh, pun intended—or the story itself. We're thinking about what we're already good at. Like maybe mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. Maybe you really love drawing noses, and you're like, "Oh, that guy's nose is awesome. I can't wait to draw it." So that's a little bit of something to look forward to. But in my head, as like technical medical equipment and how big it should be like I I did have um, my husband take some pictures of certain things and I did get him I was like can you take a picture of your hand with the scanner Um, like it's good for me to have photo reference but if you go into it thinking it's going to be really difficult you could also go into it thinking how is this really funny Mm -hmm. and that's something that motivates me I guess because they keep drawing serious things and I always joke that I want to draw butts. I haven't haven't gotten to draw nearly enough butts in my career yet. But that, that'll be my second act, I guess. But um, but yeah, thinking about what you're what you want to get out of it, like, uh, I don't want to draw technical medical equipment, but that is something that I sort of have to draw, and for the sake of the story. But how can I make it X Y Z to be to lean into the, the bad, I guess.
1: Um. Okay. So let's pick up from last episode where we were talking about that, or let's pick up some things off the list. What are some people are asking about related to this?
0: Well, that's a good question. We have a couple of uh, comments and um, no one's ever under pressure to stay on topic because we don't, but, uh, but we did ask on the network. We're like, okay, this week's topic, lean into the worst. And um, I I sort of asked, uh, you know, I think how did I phrase it on the network? I'm trying to find what the question was, but what do you do? Or when you notice something's not going so great, uh, or well, what part of it is like specifically even worse. We we kind of asked last week what's bad, but we're like, what's really, really bad? It feels like the sequel. equal make, As um, you were searching,
1: I can make a little comment because it came up in the in the network just today, just about a half an hour ago. And one of our students um uh I think it was Eva said, uh, I, they were posting a pencil drawing and they said, I quickly learned that my eraser doesn't like being an eraser. It's more of a smudger. And to me, <laughs> like, smudge, make a smudge comic. Make it super smudgy, you know, which uh, I know is not everybody's inclination because they want the eraser to do the right thing, which is like clean it up, right? But yes. Oh, I wanted to see I a I smud- love that. There should
0: be a, a prison for whoever <laughs> invents these erasers that are just smearing things around. Why are like 80% of erasers are just nonsense? That is funny, right? When you, Where a good eraser is hard to find, this is life. How do you lean into it? Um, yeah, that's really good. Uh, one of the questions we had this week, uh, I'm trying to find it. Well, one of the early comments we got um, was from Helen. And she was wondering, how can we contrive external deadlines other than self-imposed deadlines and sometimes deadlines or just getting work out the door this is one of the hardest things to lean into? We, we want so much to share our work. I feel like sometimes we don't necessarily want to do all, all of the work. We we want to do the work when certain parts of it are really hard to slog through and then life being what it is, things come up and it's hard to be regimented, I suppose. Um I wonder no. if you you're you're pretty good. I know you said when well, you got sick of it you you laid out a schedule for yourself. You're doing like a page a week, right, Tom?
1: I can't even remember the days. <laughs> they did a song for a while. (laughs) But I think what Helen's asking is like, aside from those self imposed ones, which is like, I want to do a page a week or whatever, how, how can we create some external ones? And a lot of time, that's, I think, going to come down to accountability and people, other people waiting for it, right? So in the
0: chilling realization of your own mortality, (laughs) if you can just get that lurking at all times, if you wake Mm -hmm. up hearing your own death,
1: when you put the big grid in front of you, where you were like, "Oh, I have X number of days to live, and at best, and like this is the number of comics I can get done," you mean that? You
0: I know? think we did have a student that, like uh, that was uh, maybe not exactly in their golden years, exactly, but on the um, the short end of of the uh, traditional uh, human lifespan, and they were like, "I want to make like ten of these. Do I have enough time on this mortal coil to finish ten books? Can I do this?"
1: Yeah, well, it's yeah, it's tricky, but um, but let's answer Helen. That, I to me, I I really do think ex- having somebody waiting for it is really important. Yeah. Sometimes That somebody can be an accountability partner. I've had that a couple times where I'm just like, just make sure I send you an email on Thursday showing what I did. Right. Yeah. You know, that alone can help. Um, better is is having a, a little group of people expecting it, like, and that can be like, hey we're all there's like four of us and we're doing our we're our twice yearly anthology and we need everybody's thing in here by you know valentine's day or whatever and then everybody starts to get mad at each other you know if it's not there um <laughs> yeah. but then you know and you can scale that up you know that or it can be like i, I want to get this done by spx because spx is coming up or i have to get it to submit it to the Saw anthology or whatever but but having somebody who's going to be disappointed but lovingly disappointed if you don't deliver i think to me that's that's the the way to do that
0: totally rob
1: Rob says in the chat you do not want to let someone down
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and he had also shared similar to what you said that uh there are conventions and anthologies and things you can participate in that have a natural deadline so hey are you going to sbx the small press expo um oh yeah i'm going do you want a table together let's split the expenses well we need something for the table do you have a comic? I haven't been working on anything. How's it going with you? Well, maybe we could cobble together <laughs> these things we have. Um, so yeah, sharing resources, but then also sharing the energy of building something together and getting it out the door at the same time is really, really exciting. What would you say, Tom, to someone who didn't have any comics friends yet, aside from please join us? <laughs> at yeah. comics.
1: I mean, that's just a, that's just a, chance for a commercial break right like
0: <laughs> well did you ever have I mean you're a social person and I am too but did you ever have periods of time where you're working on something and it felt a little lonely like it was hard you didn't really necessarily had uh externalized accountability
1: um I think I didn't I didn't really do anything until I entered college and I met a couple friends and they and we were all on the same page and we did weird little anthologies and then it became like hey we wanna get this out by next Friday. Everybody's gotta have their thing in. And you know, there's a little bit of wiggle room because everybody's flaky and they're 19 years old or whatever. But um, but ever since then, um, I think I've always been a part of some small group. However, I was always the weirdo when like, everybody was like, hey, we're all going out to the bar for beers and French fries. Do you wanna go? And I'm like, no, I'm staying home to draw. <laughs> because I actually liked drawing more than a lot of other experiences. Um, so that's not, not everybody is that way, but, but that community really matters, really matters and mattered to me. So, yeah, I don't know. And finding, but g- going back again, finding, going back to leaning into the bad and, and all these things that, that, that make us feel bad when we're making comics. If we can find a community of people who like, who share our values and like, I don't care that you can't draw hands. Just give me the damn comic, right? You know, get it to me by Friday. <laughs> You know we got to find those people unless we want to be like hey i want to get better at hands help me get better at hands by friday and then you find those people and i think we think we just find the right people is the right answer
0: mm-hmm. You know, yeah and it might not be like an overnight thing and the right people are kind of it's an ebb and flow and a shift and a change so you just like mm-hmm. be nice to everybody and <laughs> see see i have a lot of nice friends but we're all like like you said like we're all like artsy so sometimes it's hard to get everybody together and um be accountable um yeah i'm trying to think of other external things but people are really motivating to us because they're less abstract than the last page of our comic um mm. remember when i turned in my um manuscript for my graphic novel it was like the final art and I guys the the are I- nominated graphic novel the Eisner nominated Invisible Wounds Fanographics 2022 um I turned the file in and um I think I'd uploaded to Google Drive and shared the link with the editor and I was like it's here and I looked around my apartment and nothing had changed (laughs) my cat was like lounging and um I think I was home alone too so I was like oh I was like happy it was gonna happen It it was like a thrill to be done but also um I think sometimes it it still feels kind of abstract even when you do finish the work. So having other people to give you a little bit of context, maybe, or sure. People also have better memories than I do. I mean, I have a bad memory to begin with, but I it's nice. For example, Tom's like, you were nominated for an Eisner. Heck, I was nominated for an Eisner and we forgot to talk about it. So having a friend that remembers what you're good at and tells you all the time can kind of like help you think, oh yeah, actually. If Tom says it, it's probably more likely to be true than whatever stuff I'm telling myself. Mm. Um, not always, but like <laughs> you could be selective about <laughs> what you want to listen to. But I yeah, I think I think having people that reinforce the good about yourself that you might be prone to forget. Or when we panic, I don't know, when I panic about the deadline for the Boston Globe, the two times we've done it, it's gone exactly the same where I procrastinate and <laughs> things get harder and harder. And I'm like, why did we ever say yes? and um and when my partner's writing it he freaks out and then when i'm finishing drawing it he freaks out and whichever one of us is not in the hot seat the other one's like it was just like last time and you got through it it was totally fine and it looked amazing but having someone remind you of your track record is is really really valuable i think to to feeling not only like meeting that deadline but also like feeling like it could actually happen
1: that's a good um segue, although Adrian is posting some interesting things in the chat that we can really quickly mention. Adrian says, making your comic a webcomic can help for those deadlines, uh, but you have to be conscious of whether posting it is, is appealing um, or if it's getting responses. If you're getting zero responses, then it demotivates you. So that is something. And then she says, an interpersonal approach might be better, which is what we're arguing for. It's like find some people mm-hmm. who, like, who who know you and 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 want to expect the things that you want them to expect, you know, yeah, uh, and then and then Adrian also mentions that some people like Catherine Woodman Maynard use a little cubby hole that she stacks stones up into to celebrate. I think she's very easily um, excited by these like these uh, small little um, devices. That is good for some people. Um, uh, I, I I think this is a good segue to something I really wanted to talk about, and maybe. I actually want to talk about two things. One's really fast and then the other is sort of big and you can you can riff on it and tell me if, but one thing that we try to do at Saw, especially in the graphic novel group where people do come in with a, an idea for something they want to do in six months or something. I say that a lot of times we we see that person you, are, you want to be. Like, you know, we can already imagine you having finished this book, you know? Um, and we really don't care if it's good. how if it's as good as your brain wants it to be we just want you to be that person that you that you came to us with came to us as right this person with this um with this project and i don't know maybe i'm muddling it a little bit but the the point is is that we we believe when we sort of like create these little groups kind of impromptu we believe that everybody's capable of this and so a lot of times we're our own where our the biggest detriment is ourself. Like we're the ones who don't believe we can do it, but we have all these people in this network anyway, who do believe we can do it. So I, I just hope we lean on each other a little bit for for mm. that help. Um,
0: lean into the worst by leaning on the best people.
1: <laughs> but the thing I wanted to, to riff on is, um, is in, in worrying, and this is riffing off of last week, worrying about like who wants to read my story is this story good enough and stuff like that? Is that um I think there's a ritualistic uh aspect to some of our storytelling and some of our art making that we need to uh lean into. Um there's a lot of there's a lot of things that we do in life that's ritualistic and we don't do it because it's original, or we don't do it because um Barnes and Noble is going to knock on our door, you know, whether it's getting married or showering or any number of other rituals yeah, we do. I, let me see if I can think of some other things. Um, but we do it because, um, well, for a number of reasons, like um, life will change in some way once we've done this thing, right? Um, and I'll get particular and I'll talk about comics. Like, I, you know, I had. Um, I made a I made a comic about grief. I made a comic about grief a, a early, but not super early, but early enough that um, that that particular topic hadn't really been explored very much in comics. I don't know if that's true anymore. And I don't think if it matters. What matters is having gone through the the, the I think I think the grief memoir. Is a good ritual for people who need it. Is sort of where, where I'm getting at. I think the whatever comic is a good ritual for anybody. <laughs> you know, if if you're being called to make a certain kind of comic, then lean into the ritualistic aspect of it. Lean into the um, the belief that that doing it in a small community. Again, I think the community is important part of ritual. I'll talk about that in a minute. But leaning into the why you want to make it and doing it for those reasons. Um, I think will serve you and motivating you rather than the belief that like it has to That quote somebody is out there wants to read it and and then thinking about agents and publishers and all this stuff Which always always gets people crazy Like but thinking of of it as like as a as a as a life transition that we want to go through, right? I want to finish a graphic novel. I want to make I want you know, or you know, I I want to do a nonfiction comic about this topic that really moves me because I want to understand it better. I want to present it to people. And, and again, and on the tail end of that ritualistic aspect, anything we do that is ritualistic on a, on a, on a, on a medium to large scale involves the community in some way anyway, right? We, we, we get married or we have funerals or all these other things we do with the community present, right? Because they are, they acknowledge our transition from one part of life to another. I was not a graphic novelist and now I am <laughs> because a handful of people in my community have read it. Anyway, sorry. I'm just that's that's what I wanted to sort of get to because I really think that there are a lot of people we do we see we do see some overlap at saw for instance, in certain kinds of stories. And every once in a while somebody gets hung up and saying like I hey, well, you know, why am I telling this story? It's already been told. That's not that's i don't want to see people getting hung up on that i want to see people saying i need to pass through this i need to i i desire deeply to to make this work and to show people and besides you and i know everybody's story is different anyway and i i really like that but that's hard to it's hard to believe sometimes when we're we're in the beginning stages of something and we're feeling bad about ourselves but um so i want people to realize like it's not necessarily about you telling a unique story. It's about going through this process that we're here for and that we want to we want to celebrate on on the other side. Phew, that was a long one. Sorry.
0: Don't say you're sorry. We used to have a sorry jar. Oh. Room. Anytime someone said sorry, we had to put a quarter in there. But
1: wait, wait. This I have to say, is good
0: or bad.
1: I, I rock. That's what I have to say.
0: Yeah, that's what you, you would pronounce it wrong. It's a. Uh... You're welcome <laughs> for the monologue. Um, yeah, and then we we end up with a lot of money in the sorry jar because there were other things that were um, off limits. I think three things. Just saying, I'm just saying that was outlawed. Um, sorry, like copious sorry, like if you step on the cat, yeah, it's okay to apologize. But and then um, air quotes. You're not allowed to use air quotes in the office. And we ended up with like $20 at the end of every month that we bought cupcakes with uh, relentlessly. So I don't know if we were learning our lesson, but the cupcakes were great. So what? Uh,
1: and what? I, I don't want to digress too much because I do hope you'll you'll say something in response to what I am saying, but we could do that at comics too. Anytime you say like, sorry, I didn't do the hands well, or <laughs> sorry uh, if my tree looks uh, bad. It's like, you got to put a quarter in the jar. You got to PayPal somebody. I don't
0: know. Yeah. Oh, that would be good. And then we'll take the money and. I don't know <laughs> Send it to some do something really good with it i i'm off the top of my head i'm not sure but um well in response to what you're saying well it's fun so um a habit that we try to get into on the zoom calls is we each try to paraphrase what the other one is saying in the chat which also helps me build a recap for the mighty network that saw does kind of debriefings on after before after and during <laughs> podcasts and other things that happen um, and it's also a really good note, uh, Tom mentioned that um, we're building the Bootlegger's Guide to Comics, which is a book that's uh, being written right now, but it's almost like it's being written in real real time. Um, yeah, it was called The Sorry Jar, <laughs> which would be a great New Yorker story title. Um, sorry, I'm multitasking. I'm looking over at the chat again. Um, so, so I'm kind of listening to what Tom's saying. I also got a little, a tiny piece of this in a very uh, fragmented view. We have a shared word document that we're using for t- uh, weekly topics for the podcast. And all it said was Tom rituals will explain or something like that. So I was like, Oh, I can't, I want to hear what Tom's saying. So I was processing it in real time with everybody else and, and trying to think about it. Um, I, I like where, what you're saying about where we focus our energy and our, our spirit when we're thinking about the thing and you're like, Take that same energy that uh, you're using to worry about your commercial audience or uh, the viability of your story, if 100 people have told the exact same story before you, um, and and channel that energy into, this is something I'm doing without anyone's permission, because I want to, because I'm present here and I'm passing through a place, and on the other side of it, there are witnesses that are going to cheer okay. me on, like okay. a marathon or something, um, so, me repeating what you're saying uh, and then processing it for myself one more time, I, I think that's really great. I don't know if I've ever thought about anything like that, but I, I do think um, one of the reasons why I Saw is valuable, and then one of the reasons why I like being friends with Tom is that um, the collective memory of people's um, achievements. Uh, it it's longer living than my own personal memory, like I said before. So there's a lot of times it's not even not even some case where I'm apologizing or actively um, diminishing what I'm doing, which is something I have a habit of, and I know a lot of artists do that. Um, but not even doing that, there's just things that I sort of take for granted and don't think are particularly notable and tell me like remember when you said xyz and that was really smart i was like oh really and then i'll think about it and I'm like oh i can see why you would say that and and now i want to talk more about it so um sometimes we just put something on paper and we're not really thinking too much about it and we're not even being very critical uh, of it like oh this isn't very good we're just like letting it breathe on paper and then you get a couple eyes on it and they're like this is fascinating i never would have thought to do that that way i really love the pacing of this having a lot of eyes on your work that have different sensibilities and everyone's kind of tuning into different things is really really exciting it can be a little confusing if you're looking for edits because everybody has a different opinion also on the other hand everyone might rally around the same thing like wow this is amazing for this particular reason everyone starts kind of creating a chorus of like wow this is really good and this is the part that we like about it Um, and that might be something that you've never noticed before So um, I think that's really interesting that and in some ways, the witnesses on the other side of making the big scary thing are what you were looking for. I think we were looking for that when we were looking at the commercial viability of something or is anyone going to publish this? Is anyone even going to read this? Does this even matter? On the other side, there are people waiting to read it and it matters to them. And we're all creators. So like if we see you do well, we're like, I could do that. <laughs> and and that's a big part of um, when I teach a class at all. I'm like, I know that you guys can do this because I did it. And I really didn't think I could do it. So if I can do it, I know you can do it. And I'll help you. I'll help you find the way. Um, so there is this kind of proof in the community. Like, well, if they did it, it seems possible. Like, to meet, I don't know. If you've ever, like, uh, I don't know how many people I've known that, like, have won the lottery. But I know a lot of people who have gotten their driver's license. And I failed my test twice, but I still got my driver's license. <laughs> I would never drive a car right now. But, but, but knowing people that have done the thing that you want to do makes it feel like you're in the right place. It makes it feel a little less scary. It also makes it seem like a little less strange. Like, oh, yeah, you can, you can do that. You can, make, you can make more than one graphic novel. You can make a bunch of them. Um, it just sort of normalizes it. I think that's really cool.
1: Mm, that's great. Knowing people, I just put that in the chat, knowing people who have done the thing you want to do it's a big help and normalizes it. Cool. Let's look at this list.
0: Oh yeah. So that was our first one from Helen. So thanks, Helen. I hope we kind of talked a little bit about Helen's question: <laughs> external deadlines. So we kind of did. People seem to be the magic sauce. And then we had another one. Um, this is interesting and just sort of a question in answer to our question. I want to know: Does anyone ever feel guilty for drawing? I'm having some issues with this particular thing. It's hard work, but I like hard work, that's fun. It ends up not being hard, but the guilt is there. Like I'm maybe an imposter or something. And uh, so that was the question. I initially responded, I said, I, I feel really guilty when I try to sit down to work on my novel, and I feel like less of a writer than an artist. So maybe there's something to the imposter thing that our questioner asked. Um, and I don't know if I have a great answer, but have you ever felt guilt for drawing or, or making a comic? Me? I yeah. I am,
1: <laughs> no, I'm I'm such an obliger and and like a busy homemaker and also running the school that I feel guilty every time I draw because I'm like, oh, I'm not help, I'm not serving somebody else right now. Um, so it's terrible. <laughs> so like a lot of things, you have to like really put clear-cut boundaries on things. And so sometimes I have to be like, okay, I'm giving myself an hour and I'm not going to feel guilty because it's only one damn hour in this entire week or whatever. Um, And I know everything else and I've cleared the decks and I know everything else is taken care of, right? I don't do that enough. So therefore, I feel guilty more often than I should. I should actually compartmentalize a lot more um, and clear the decks and be way more systematic about it. But, um, but in fact, I try and sneak it in (laughs) and I feel, and I feel, and I feel kind of lousy. Um, And then, but the questioner was also asking, like, when it, like, when drawing goes easy, they feel guilty. Is that, was I understanding that correctly? And, um,
0: yeah, Yeah, uh,
1: sure. I get that too. (laughs) Um, so, I what
0: felt, yeah, what I, don't, I don't know if I have a good answer. I liked what you said, Tom, that you have um, these clear boundaries you have to make in advance to um, be like, look, I mapped it out like mm-hmm. the hour of free time I said I was going to do it. So you're a person of your word and you're showing up for that. So it feels like a little more like you're um, taking it for yourself and intentionally versus like an apologetic. Uh, but but then. Like you said, they're sneaking, <laughs> sneaking in to get a little bit of the art stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I have more guilt with, uh, with trying to do things I'm not very good at, like trying to write prose. Um, I feel really bad, but, and the best way to describe it is guilt, but that might be more akin to like just not feeling great about my abilities, but usually when I'm drawing, Um, I don't spend enough time in regular drawing practice or making personal projects, so usually there's someone on the other end waiting for the thing I'm working on, even if they don't know it. Like, I recently did a little tiny drawing for my grandma. I drew her dog, and I wrote favorite grandchild, (laughs) and I thought it was hilarious, Um, and it's true. Um, Also, she doesn't, I don't think, I mean, I guess I'm her grandchild, but I mean, the competition, (laughs) middle-aged humans and then, like, really adorable dogs, so it's... um, it's no contest, but um but I think if there's a particular person in mind, for example, if you're working with editors that have a deadline, you're like, I don't feel guilty working on it because someone asked for it and sure. theoretically they're paying me for it. But I think that's uh de incentivized me working for for art's sake for just making a thing. Um Right well, that, in a yeah. sneaky way.
1: <laughs> As an ISER yeah. nominee, you're you're often contracted for things. <laughs> And so,
0: yes, I'm but again, I demand.
1: Yeah. No, but um, but yeah, actually, having that having that contract probably does it, it. It does alleviate guilt. The guilt, of course, because you're no longer like you know being a you know playing. You're no longer like just kind of doing it for yourself.
0: I also wonder if that's like a like a positive role, not to make it culty and about saw, that this is a saw podcast. But uh, I wonder if that's like a positive role if someone's in the year long program or the graphic novel intensive. Or even in some of the weekly drawing groups or some of the free things that are available. Um like knowing there's like a class structure, like a course structure, not not a mm-hmm. class. <laughs> you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like I wonder if that's something that's positive out, out of the structure of uh having having um, you know, quarterly projects or an anthology coming up or or just the I think in the graphic novel intensive, we don't necessarily have Benchmarks, we get we kind of give you anecdotally, here's where you might be in your project, but it looks different for everybody. But we know, on the calendar, the program generally lasts for six months. So just also having a time structure, makes people sort of think about what they want to be accountable for in that amount of time, realistically. Um, and that's really helpful to kind of like have parameters. Um
1: Yeah. And again, it's a shared experience. Like everybody's in the same sort of, the same sort of um, system of like, I have to get this work done in this amount of time. Other people are doing it. I can do it too. Um, With, with a training, like the certificate course or any kind of art school or something, usually there is, um, there's a reason for these parameters and for these deadlines and not questioning them is a really good thing to get used to, right? Like I just have to do it and and ho- and hopefully that's something you can extend to past art school. you can be like i want to have i want to finish a painting by thursday don't don't ask why just just do it because you've given yourself an assignment. it's really hard to carry through but but it's it's your job as a, as an art student if you're gonna get quote the grade yeah <laughs>
0: well,
1: yeah, yeah. To, do, to do that so it's really good training yeah there's
0: some comments in the chat do you want to read them
1: Tom. <laughs> Um, Anita says there there's a lot of should this and should that um, if I'm working on the things that are hard but I'm getting somewhere I'm supposed to be already there oh yeah oh my gosh it's sort of a catch-22 obnoxious obnoxious self-criticism yeah I'm that way and again I'll I'll this will be my one minute where I talk about music in the podcast <laughs> but, like, but I'm the same way with like I'm like I'm so new to what this new art form I'm trying and I i should already be good at it and so i'm just like "Uh, why aren't you good at this yet but it's actually fun to sort of muddle through it and to not be good and to make garbage but i for but it's only sometimes fun and the other times it's not fun because i'm i i don't know i'm a realistic person with 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 uh aesthetic (laughs) beliefs and, and i'm not hitting any of the standards you know but but um but if i let myself just be garbagey it's fun i think that's what i think that's what I'm trying to say, and Darlene says, "Took me years and years to set boundaries for myself to make art and write. It wasn't until community opportunities opened up online that I realized I could make art and writing a priority." Yeah, that's great, and that's that's so great. I did. I was in a writing group a long, for a long time, um, in my early twenties, maybe 21, 22, and uh, we we'd go weekly, and I was like the youngest person there. Um, and also I mostly wrote word jazz. <laughs> so there'd be a topic, we'd reach in a hat, We'd be, the topic would be like, um, uh, yeah, I don't know, yesterday's news or something. And I'd be like, bop, bop, doo, doo, bop, yesterday's news going at you. You know, I would just like, and it wasn't until, but I would write page after page of this stuff. And it wasn't until decades later, and I was still in touch with a couple of those people until decades later and I realized, he must have hated me. <laughs> and I actually had the I had the fortune of meeting uh re meeting one of these people. His name's John. He's in Seattle at a conference just last year. And I said, John, I just realized like I must have been so annoying. And he said, you are finding your voice. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> I think on the topic of socialization, like trying trying to meet the right friends, making real real human connections out there as a cartoonist. From cartoonist to cartoonist, it's important to have friends that tell you what they think. It's also important to have friends that do not ever tell you what they think.
1: That was a a very welcoming community. And, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't do anything bad in their living room. And I just was annoying with what I was writing. And, but I was finding my voice and they gave me that space. It was really wonderful. And he's cool. Yeah. So maybe another thing on the list or what do you think?
0: Yeah, so that's just um, this it? week's uh, nod to word jazz. <laughs> you don't know what to post on the network. <laughs> uh, we give you permission to post what you want to post. Um, uh, oh, oh, this is a good one from Virginia. This is I thought this was great. My drawings float. This is one of my issues. My drawings float. This means I have an idea. I draw the character or characters. They usually float in space. Maybe the space on the page or the space in panel. I don't think they're talking about literal space, so that would also be awesome and very funny if that's all you ever drew and wasn't sure how to get out of the space zone, but I think you just mean no backgrounds. It seems too much of a bother to include backgrounds. When I do, they, they also float. Nothing touches anything else. My lines don't even connect. I thought this was great. Um, this becomes an issue when I try to do a flood fill on the computer with, with digital work. You try to fill in an area and the whole thing, the whole picture gets gets dark, it becomes tedious to finish the illustration. I'm doing a project and struggling with that now. And I wrote on the network, ooh, uh, the anvil in space. <laughs> the terrible anvil goes to space. That's actually really fun. Um, I used to really hate backgrounds, and now it's one of my favorite things. And I, I don't really know why that is. And it's I don't think it's because I've gotten that much better at them, but I've made peace with them. And we sort of talked towards the beginning of the call about um, – like props, I guess, like thinking about the use of the information you're providing in the background. Um, another thing I noticed too with backgrounds is that um, in, in movies, for example, music videos, you see it in uh, car commercials, any kind of anything that we're just trying to deliver some info with film in particular, you have what's called an establishing shot that shows, let's say, the exterior of the house of home alone. And now we know that that's where we are and what time of year it is. And there's Christmas decorations. And we know in, in five seconds or less that the where we are and what time we are in and what, what, what the universe looks like. And then after that, we might see a little bit here and there, but we're not always seeing all the bricks on the outside of the house to be constantly reminded that that's where we are. And you can do the same thing in comics where you have an establishing shot and then you just have a horizon line with some rocks and then carry on for 60 pages, and you're like, "Well, oh, we've been outside this entire time. Maybe it starts raining, or maybe the light changes or something. You can also, another really fabulous thing about comics that I love, it's not always appropriate, but you can have someone say what's happening. Uh, Rob brought it up in the chat earlier when we were complaining about how, how hard it is to make weird-looking hand drawings look normal. Uh, Rob said, you could just make it part of the plot. Like, wow, that's a gigantic hand. <laughs> so um, so if someone's saying what it is, like, wow, did you see the um that speeding car go by if you draw like a blob? <laughs> and if someone says that, that's what happened. So, um, like, leverage that for sure. Like if the characters are saying that's what's going on or that's what the caption box says, uh, it's I know I think it was Betsy or someone else in the program a couple of years ago really hated those caption boxes that they use in like documentary film or like the beginning of action movies where it's like uh Wanako, Virginia, 1997 <laughs> and you're like oh it's just like the outside of a building, right? But it works and I definitely used it more than once in the graphic novel with the veterans because I was like I'm going to draw the outside of this very specific airport, but I need you to know it's in Iraq <laughs> and uh and this is what year it is. And it was really helpful. Um So, so there's a couple of tricks that I think comics lends itself to, but Tom, do you have anything to say about backgrounds and not finishing your lines?
1: All of of that. I have a lot to say about all that stuff. And I think we should start to wrap it up too. So let's, let's think about that. But, um, I I wrote down three things, um, just as a quick digression, that thing you said about captions and like, you know, Virginia, 1997 or whatever. Yeah. I, I have the same sort of like reflexive, um, I almost like disgust with that like i'll see a really like famous film it's one of the best films ever and i've never gotten around to see it and it'll be like shanghai 1935 and i'm like this is supposed to be a classic and they're just telling (laughs) me where it's happening but of course you can do that of course you can it's fantastic um and the, the thing about the thing about um wow, look at those crazy hands, you know, if somebody's going to point that out, because I say totally lean into that. I would love to see that comic where people are commenting on just how crazy the things are getting. That Back to what you were saying about improv comedy, that kind of thing tends to happen on stage a lot, and it can get a little bit annoying if they go too much into it, right? Where they're only commenting on the performance and they're not actually making the story, right? So that is something to be careful of, but it, it really does allow the reader, the viewer, the the audience whatever it allows them to be relieved of discomfort if they notice the bad hand and the characters notice the bad hand and they can be like oh good I don't have to worry about yeah it's not anymore. just so. I don't have to feel is, bad is for that, the author anymore
0: <laughs> yeah is Tom do you know if that's breaking the fourth wall if, if if someone's referencing the genre that that they're working in I get the third wall and the fourth wall confused
1: it's meta for sure i don't know yeah. maybe
0: it's meta talking. we can just call it meta but and i mentioned i mentioned the fourth wall but i'll look it up later and make sure i correct
1: it hit it on another time yeah one
0: of the walls is big but it's but it's very
1: it's very common and it's actually pretty common in manga too where you'll be like um you know two characters are talking and and um I mean just to go with Rob's example some more you'll easily see a character just maybe even like a semi like little what do they call it a super deformed or squished version of them saying wow I didn't know their hands could get that big you know yeah comment on that kind of stuff yeah
0: yeah in manga when like characters get really emotional they'll turn into like a tiny version of themselves and they'll get very emotive and they'll have waterfall tears They have some. and then they'll
1: comment on that they'll say god not with the waterfall tears again and anyways Mm -hmm. but um but they're not commenting on how bad the art is because usually an assistant has done that and has been scolded into getting it correct. So anyway, um, but I wanted to comment on the fill tool also, you know, it's like, that's something else to lean into. You don't need to use the fill tool. You can paint behind your art, your line work, for instance, if that's what you're doing. I bet in really beautiful ways that let you not have to be worried about whether or not your lines are full. Or complete or or touching right and there are so many elegant ways in which in which a color field behind your work or on top although it'll look the same if we're talking about black line work um can add it can be part of part of the part of the display part of the storytelling effect just part of the mood but it's not perfectly lined up with every line and, and there's so many examples of that people really been since printing has gotten good in the last 20, 30 years, people are branching out with what can color do. And it's just, it's just so wonderful.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think. I did, well, there was a project Tom and I worked on, the Odyssey of Sergeant Jack Brennan. And um, I did probably about like 40 pages of comics. Um, And the backgrounds, I was drawing, anytime I get panicked about a deadline, my drawing really falls apart. But it was just good enough. It was like, oh, this is, this is pretty good. I'm doing the best. I was, I was definitely running, at full speed. Um, and I would hand these pages off to Tom. And there was a, a a parcel of pages where Tom was like, you didn't I want you to go back and finish these lines, like uh, draw them all the way to the end. And I didn't realize that I was doing that. But I, I there is something funny about politely drawing in a background after you've drawn like a really gorgeous figure. I think that's what I was doing. And I wasn't just taking my line all the way to connect with the figure or whatever was overlapping with it. A lot of beginning cartoonists will also not have anything overlap, like not have a character stand in front of the background. Everything's really isolated. So I was responding uh, when I was reading Virginia's comment about everything just floats um, when I realized I could overlap things. And again, talking about scale and design, making things really big or super duper itty bitty. First of all, if you don't know how to draw something, zoom way out, and then no one will know that you don't know how to draw it because you can't even see it on the page. Like you can draw a silhouette of a horse in the distance versus like a close-up of a horse head. Like, what do you have time for? Um, so, yeah, but I was thinking about that. Like, I, there's things that I've maybe I'm just lazy, but I've gotten that, that old adage, like, work smarter, not harder. I was like, ah, I don't want to do that. So it was just follow your bliss and your ignorance, I guess.
1: Um, work smarter, not harder is definitely the bootleggers, uh, you know, an adage. To,
0: and to... you don't have to be that smart. I don't want to toot my ignorance <laughs> horn, but uh, when I say work smarter, we don't have to elevate ourselves any more than where we're at. That's also important.
1: I mean, clearly that is our ending here. And you don't have to be that smart. Work, work hard. Don't work smarter, not harder. And you don't have to be that. But
0: smart. not that smart. <laughs> Maybe it's just work smart, not hard. <laughs> It's like not, not like an implied uh, achievement or pushing forward, just being smart
1: or consciously. But yeah, you know, I and I really like that phrase of the witnesses are on the other side. Um, awesome. This is this has been another great, very general, broad ranging um, episode by two Eisner nominees. <laughs> um we're
0: really great i love this for us so, and for you <laughs>
1: but but um but uh do we have i know we want to get a little more and we want to get a little more detailed with future episodes so what are some topics coming up
0: oh that's a great question tom uh I, we have a little list going uh, some of it's loosely based on a lot of posts i've already done on the network that we're using for the bootleggers book but we had just kind of like a random grocery list like uh uh could be genre-specific stuff, like nonfiction comics, for example. It could be skill-based stuff, like how to pencil before you ink. Um, maybe also uh, early preliminary stuff, like ideas and concepts for your work, like how to turn raw material into something uh, that looks like a comic, character turnarounds. Um, but there's also a lot of abstract stuff, like how to not be fussy, which we kind of uh, talked about. Uh, working really, really rendered versus working really loose, like cartoony or, or realism. What What's the balance for what you're working on? Like, do you want it to be mm-hmm. loosey-goosey or fancier? So we have lots of different stuff. I feel like a lot of it is about drawing, but I think there's something about, in all of these questions, about sustainability. Like, I, I want to make comics. With, comics take a long time. So how do I do this is the first question. And then, like, how do I keep doing this? And then how do I make this... You know, a little less painful. <laughs>
1: Hopefully, fun. Great. Okay, we've got a long list. That list we'll put in some organized fashion in the Saw Network, and we'd love to hear some people riff with some specific questions on that. Um, yeah. How do we? How do I? How do I keep it sustainable? That's a great question. I think I think art personally. I find art as a sustainable practice as something that is with you for a very very long time is extremely rewarding. Um, so also, I
0: also hot take here. I think being bad at it is is a sustainable practice in itself. Like if, <laughs> if there's something that's always bothering you about it, that's what keeps us going back. You're like the neighbors have done XYZ with their trash again. Like if we have a thing we are obsessed with, I think that's as much as we don't like it, maybe that's this weird motivator.
1: You know what? I, I can't let that slide without saying there's this, there's this idea, like let's say our one of our cartoonist students or friends it just keeps drawing those bad hands, right? We're just gonna be like, there they are with those bad hands again. and we're just gonna keep coming back for it. You're right, you know, yeah. and there's that there's that phrase, um, keep giving them you until you is what they want, Who which once and I really like that phrase because like bad hands and all, you know, let's just let's just keep let's just try and be I mean, we have to be earnest, and I think we have to be sincere, kind of like Linus in the pumpkin patch. But but um, if we can't get those hands right and we keep making them weird, then we're going to start loving them.
0: Yeah, and I think I said that on the last call. Is like trying to find the worst part of yourself and leverage that because I know that's always going to show up to the drawing table. It's like my inability to do X, Y, Z. I'm like, oh, this again. Uh, so if you can count on that being there, it can kind of be this really funny place to live where you're like, oh, OK, just going to okay. hang out.
1: Let's leave with Rom's quote, I think. Uh- Although, I, I want you to ask me about um, The King of Morocco someday, some future podcast. Um, but Rob says, Dolly Parton says, figure out who you are and then do it on purpose. That's great. <laughs> Perfect. Sendak couldn't draw horses, so they became monsters. Carol, thank you for that.
0: Oh, That's awesome.
1: I didn't know that at all. And
0: thank now you. everyone's trying to draw monsters that look like Maurice Sendak's monster.
1: Right? And that's how invention happens. All right. Jess, marvelous talking to you again. Everybody here at Saw, thank you so much for being here and 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 um, being a part of the community, being witnesses to everything, and being being your own your own self that you are in the Dolly Parton way. I mean, um, Jess. So we're not recording next week, but we're recording in two weeks.
0: That's true. So our next episode, the live recording is gonna happen on February first, the second that... month of the new year. It's flying by already. Um so we'll be happy to see you. Probably in the morning. We're not sure, but
1: that'll give us some time to uh post that list and get get some of those yep. topics rolling and we're going Yeah. So if
0: you're in the Saw network, uh what is that? Sawcomics.org. Yeah. Trying to talk like a professional on a podcast saw stuff, saw yeah, so go there. and uh, we try to do recaps of of the podcast and post links to the new episodes and solicit more questions. So we love hearing from you. and we'll we'll give you like an organized sort of what's up next on the podcast episodes that are forthcoming.
1: Look, I've never said this ever in my life. Uh, look for this podcast wherever podcasts are found. I guess you say that, and like us on whatever. And <laughs> hate us or whatever? I don't know. All right. Jess, I'll talk to you next week or, or in two weeks, I'll talk to you before that. Everybody else in the network will talk also. Thanks so much.
0: Thank y'all. See you later.
1: Thanks for joining us. This has been a production of the Sequential Artists Workshop or Saw. You can find us on social media at comics workshop and online at sawcomics.org. You can hear about our many courses at learn.sawcomics.org. Saw is a nonprofit and supported by people like you. Learn how to make a tax-deductible donation at the donate page of SawComics.org. You can join our free community of comics explorers at members.salcomics.org. Thanks so much for being here.